Welcome to DTRR News, where we'll be discussing and staying on top of the latest news on AI and automation. With you to discuss this news, Jacob Magnor and David Griffith-Jones. DTRR News this week, we will look at a fast food brand in the US trialling voice AI drive through assistant, Gartner's latest report on how explosive AI used by businesses is being hampered by scalability challenges, and in academia, sloppy use of machine learning is creating a reproducibility crisis. But first... In Australia, engineers have been working to create a robot to help with picking and taking care of strawberries. The robot is built mainly using 3D printed parts and carbon fiber rods and uses a 3D camera to locate berries that are ripe for picking. The robot can also use ultraviolet light to control some diseases on strawberries, reducing the need to use fungicides. There is a surprising amount of machines focused on automating the picking of strawberries. One reason seems to be the access to the berry that is enabled by hydroponic growth. What seems special about this Australian robot is the relatively low cost. The almost bootstrapped way that it's been developed. Showcasing what skilled individuals with access to off-the-shelf electronics, 3D printers and ready-to-be-trained machine learning models can create. So David, what's your reaction to this? Well, it's another uh, AI innovation in the space of uh, agriculture. And we're seeing a lot going on in that space, as you allude to there, because we're now growing in different ways in these big hydroponic stacked uh, floors rather than out in fields, which opens up different ways of applying technology because it's, it's a closer, closed loop and more controlled environment. So it's a very interesting space. You also see when you're growing in those kind of more lab conditions, you can use sensors far more easily, whether that's sensors to pick up on the moisture or how things are developing. So this is a really another interesting example. I was actually thinking about this whilst doing the weeding this weekend because <laughs> it was so repetitive, me having to spot the it, something that's a weed and not a grass, go in with my fingers and try and pull it out. And I was thinking, I can't wait for the robot weeder. And I see this as being a, maybe a move in that direction. Yeah, good first step. And next up, Jacob, a fast food brand in the US trials voice AI at their drive through Panera Bread, which has more than 2,100 bakeries in North America, is testing artificial intelligence voice ordering technology. The brand announced it is trying out Tori, an automated drive through voice assistant created by tech company OpenCity, which takes orders and integrates the restaurant's point of sale and kitchen display systems. The news comes as restaurants worldwide are ongoing a labour shortage, straining their ability to meet demand. And as many brands continue to benefit from the surge in drive through orders seen since the pandemic. On the consumer's side, it seems that drive through customers are really ready for a more automated experience. Research revealed that 58% of grab-and-go customers think more restaurant technology means better customer service, whereas in contrast, only 29% of on-premise diners believe the same. So, Jacob, I think this is, we've spoken before about the automation and AI happening in different parts of restaurants, including in the kitchen, we spoke about before. Yeah. But this is front of house. And I think there's a lot that can be improved in terms of the ordering experience, even now when you have those screens. I've seen people struggling with them. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's a great example of innovation. But I think it's particularly interesting how they look at the preferences for consumers when it's a takeaway very in favor of high automation, whereas 
customers less enthusiastic when it's an on-premise dining experience. So I think that really touches on what is a high-touch experience where we want that human contact versus a high-tech where we want the automation to take some of that away from us. Right. I mean, I also think about the experience of the people working in the diner, um, having worked in fast food, the the late night shifts at 2 a.m. on a Friday night is not where you necessarily want to be very close to all of your customers, right? So if I can focus on making the meal at that time, that's that's good for me. And it's also going to take off the pressure a little bit because these are high-intensity jobs. So not having to answer the phone whilst flipping a burger, I think that's going to be a good change for these, these employees as well. Um, fabulous. Great. Jacob, next up, Gartner have released a new report on how explosive AI use by businesses is being hampered by scalability challenges. So new research has found that 80% of executives think automation can be applied to any business decision. The survey shows that enterprises are shifting away from a purely tactical approach to AI and beginning to apply AI more strategically. For example, a third of organizations are applying AI across several business units, creating a stronger competitive differentiator by supporting decisions across business processes. But the survey revealed that on average, 54% of AI projects make it from pilot to production. Now, disappointingly, that's virtually identical to Gartner's research in 2019, which reported that an average of only 53% of AI projects make it into full production. So what's going on here? Their conclusion is that organizations are continuing to struggle to connect the algorithms they're building to a business value proposition, which makes it difficult for IT and the leadership to justify the investment it requires to operationalize models. Upwards of 40% of organizations surveyed indicated that they have thousands of AI models deployed. This creates governance complexity for the organization, further challenging the data and analytics leaders' ability to demonstrate return on investment from each model. I mean, the scale of the numbers here are staggering, like thousands of AI models. And this has been going on for a couple of years. So it's I think that's just a, a, a mind-blowing number to have thousands of AI models. I have a reflection from this from my day-to-day work throughout the same years, I expect. Uh, Infrastructure projects can be very hard to put a number on. We want to build something that takes care of a lot of data, but it doesn't necessarily connect directly to a customer value or to a business value. And it's easy to hypothesize that this will bring revenue in the future because we have a better infrastructure that we can create better services upon, but it just stops and it doesn't go anywhere. This is a very interesting area. I, I don't have a good answer to this because I still feel like these infrastructure projects are worthwhile. They, they should be pursued in many cases, um, but how to prioritize them if we don't, can't put a number on it? Yeah, on the one side, it's really exciting and, and, and seeing the enthusiasm from business. And 80% of executives think that automation can be applied to any business decision. So it shows just how wide ranging the impact of AI is being considered, which is super exciting and therefore not so surprising that we're therefore seeing 
thousands and thousands of models being deployed at these organizations. But so that's the good part. Less so good part, we're still not seeing uh, the type of flow you'd ideally like to get from a proof of concept into a scaled uh, something in the wild that is in production. It's still at about just over 50%. So around half of pilots, they're not making it past the pilot stage. So what's going on there? And this report clearly flags that one of the key problems is they're not able to prove the business case to get the investment required to push those proof of concepts up into something in production. And finally, in academia, sloppy use of machine learning is creating a reproducibility crisis. A professor and a PhD student at Princeton, Arvind Narayan and Sayash Kapoor, have been looking into the use of artificial intelligence in academia. They were prompted by a paper published in 2021 that claimed a way to predict the civil war outbreak with 90% accuracy. An astounding figure. It turns out that the researchers had been using machine learning algorithms and that the machine had performed analysis on some of the data that it had already been trained on. This can be compared to if we would give a student access to all the exam questions while studying for a test. Looking deeper into this, Nayaran and Kapoor found many examples of issues, all connected to the improper use of machine learning technology. As Kapoor put it, they were claiming near perfect accuracy, but we found that in each of these cases there were an error with the machine learning pipeline. Kapoor states two factors contributing to this issue. Researchers are rushing in to use new technology without understanding exactly how machine learning works and what limitations are present. Secondly, technology companies are offering their services to researchers and institutions without adequately training them in their use. If machine learning is misused in science, it can lead to poor quality and mistakes. AI should be viewed as one of many tools to be used, and researchers should collaborate with data scientists to use these tools more effectively. And David, as they say in the article, we really don't want a nutritional scientist to be an expert in data science. That's not the point here. The, the point is that we should be very careful with what we ask these algorithms to do, because they're not the perfect tool for everything. Thing. Yeah, I mean, you we, you can see anecdotally, you're speaking to people, you hear that more and more researchers are making use of these machine learning tools, which is great, uh, fantastic, because it can enable them to do things that they weren't able to do before. But it's a bit like giving the keys to a car to someone who doesn't know how to use it properly. You've got to watch out where you end up. Maybe you end up driving into places you hadn't expected to. And what's that saying? Rubbish in, rubbish out? Well, if we are ha having re researchers using machine learning in a way that is creating essentially faulty data sets that are then reused in more machine learning projects, we're, we're creating very poor foundations for the future. So what's the answer here, do you think, Jacob? What do you think we need to do? So I think it's a matter of catching up, honestly. I I have very high confidence in academia. I I, I think it's it's a matter of making a little bit of mistakes and getting aware that this is a problem that you can't just do a four-hour training and be an expert in how to handle data and how to set up the the the, the, the like the final stretch of training and actually maybe we'll see an uptick in data scientists uh, getting employed at universities to sort of help out in this and maybe even collaborate in these research projects. Um, so I, I, I don't think that this necessarily long term is going to be a very big problem. I think we're going to get um, like compared to ethical standards for how to use these tools. And I, I think it's there's a lot of enthusiasm and that should be 
harnessed, but in a controlled way. Great, Jacob. That is the news for today, 18th of September. What do you think of this news format? We're releasing our normal podcast every other week, and then in between weeks, we're doing these DTRR news. Are you finding this useful? Is there something we could do to improve the news format? Please get in touch with us and let us know. David Griffith-Jones on LinkedIn or Jacob Magnum on LinkedIn. You can also always write to our LinkedIn page for Designing the Robot Revolution. I've got a question from a listener. Hayden in London wrote to me and he said, On the podcast, you and Jacob talk a lot about automation, but I wonder what this includes. That is a good question because that's something that we've really... We didn't even know before we started the podcast. And he gives we, a, an example, which at first I thought, you, you're bonkers. No, it doesn't. But then the more I've thought about it, the more I've started to think, maybe it does. Okay, well, I want to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. Does a toilet roll holder count as automation? For sure. I'm absolutely, I'm not even hesitant. I would have said no. Like... I would have said that no, but it doesn't contain AI, so it's it's really not, <laughs> and that's maybe the extreme. But it does automate something. He continued to said, "If I create something that removes the need to pick up a book, rip out a page, put the book down, and instead I just give a firm tug on a spinning rolling sheet, that simplifies the process through design. Isn't that automation?" And then ever since <laughs> I saw that question. <laughs> I've been in many, many public toilets, you'll be reassured to hear. And actually, there's huge variety in the number of toilet roll holders. So please look out for this. There's, of course, the most basic of toilet roll holders, which is just a spinner. But then there's actually kind of a a wide array of actually quite sophisticated ones, some that do actually have some Mm, mechanical pushing out of the uh, roll, others that kind of have a kind of pullback technique. So I think some of them actually are, are really clearly, but even if we constrain it to that 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 we all have in our toilets, that very basic roll. Right. But they automate different things. That's that's the thing. Like the toilet roll holder, which is basically just a stick on another stick that, that holds the toilet roll. That automates the process of holding the toilet roll so that you can rip off a page. If you have a mechanical thing that spins the roll and rips off the paper so that it just falls into your hand, that automates another process. That automates the act of ripping off the sheet from the already automated thing of holding the toilet roll. So it, it, it's different. It they I, I don't know if I would say problem, but like I, I think if, if we define ripping off a, a sheet of toilet paper as a problem, the mechanical thing that does that for you automates that, but it doesn't necessarily improve upon the holding of the toilet roll. So I think that's, I think I, I could spend all day talking just about this, but I think it's it's good because the, the public toilet is a good example of this. Because many times when they switch out the, the old roll, they take the old roll and they put it on top of the, the the toilet roll holder, thereby removing the the automation of of holding the toilet roll. So that's a clear example of of how that can progress. And I guess you can make it like uh, a fully automated dispenser that, that where you just put in uh, several rolls, and when one is finished, the next one comes out. That automates, but not for me as the customer it automates for the person 
cleaning the toilet so that they don't have to swap out toilet rolls all the time. Yeah, so it's actually a very good question, yeah. that Hayden. And the answer to your question is, uh, does a toilet roll holder count as automation? It's a very strong yes. From designing the robot revolution. <laughs> Stamp, <laughs> yeah. Stamped authority. It is, it is good. I, I would like to... Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's a fun discussion as also to just talk about different kinds of automation. But very little things get built unless it automates something. Yeah, it's this image, isn't it? When you started talking, it, it's, I think it's actually a very good example, the, the, the toilet roll holder and these different types of toilet roll holders. They are automating different individual tasks that overall combine in order to deliver a result. Yeah. So I think the, the trick is to look at the process. What is there yeah. a process that gets simplified or, I guess, more convoluted? But that seems suboptimal. But um, is there a process that we change by doing building something? Um, so I think that's the answer uh, for, for me now. But I, I would love to to have a. I don't know the the. There are several formal formal definitions of automation. There are, and there's, there are different ones. You and I have spent quite a lot of time, yeah. haven't we, kind of like talking about what are these, and there, there is no, there's, there's, there's historical statements of fact of when the word right. first arose from uh, like Ford in the 1940s. That's the first time right. the word. Um, if, we, if we just dial the conversation back to, for, to Hayden's question, because, okay, so what is automation, but why talk about it, and specifically why talk about it now? And I think that is pretty important for us, at least, and I think for the people listening. Why are we starting a podcast about automation now if a toilet roll holder is automation? Well, for one, it's a fun topic. I think it's interesting to talk about improvements in, in people's lives, but there is also something happening, happening right now, uh, and that is uh, com computing power. We have such an explosion in, in computing power that we can start looking at machine learning as a way to automate very complex tasks. And that makes it a very, very exciting topic. And the, the, the amount of transformation possible from this is staggering. So uh, follow us along on that journey because it's going to be a ride the next couple of years, I think. Yeah, automation's been, there's this, um, I forget the name of the book, but from like 895, the book of inventions or something from mm. uh, the Middle East. And, and, and that's credited as being, it lists 500 automations back then. There's, um, there's all sorts of historical references going back hundreds, thousands of years. Automation is absolutely not new. Can but you what, reference that book in the show notes? Because I want to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I will do. Um, and the, so yeah, not a new topic, but uh, what we are, the, 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 the potential for the, the impact is what's um, current now. It's, mm. the, it's, and it, it comes down to ultimately computing power. I'd add, 
I'd add to that, which is related to computing power, is is the the wide range of sensors that we can have now that oh, are yeah. becoming so cheap and so small. So I, I, I gave a talk once, and someone asked about you know, the, what, what the state of sensors, and I said, really, we're very close now to to um, imagine just a, a superhero. What senses would a superhero have? Mm. Imagine that you could have all of those senses and they can all be installed onto anything for a tiny price and be uh, self-charging. Yeah. And you know, that's where we're getting as well. So it, it, and obviously you can only make use of those sensors if you have the computing power to actually make sense of it. So it is still related to the computing power. But this um, this huge development in sensors is also something that's... I, I think I read something... Now, now I'm afraid that you wrote it in a message, but <laughs> I, I read something somewhere, and I don't have the source that we are in the in the hockey stick curve of progress. We are just accelerating that curve right now. We're in the at the at the, the the cusp of just progress exploding, and. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting riled up here. I, I, this is this is exciting stuff. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 